Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Well, coronavirus has challenged all of us in a lot of different ways. And for those folks who have started eating more at home or learning how to cook some of their own foods, there's now quite an emphasis and even more of an opportunity for us to learn how to work on making our own meals and in some cases even growing our own food. Now, today I'm joined by Vivian Aronowitz. She is a certified diabetes educator and nutritionist with almost 40 years of experience. And she's going to share with us today in part one and next week in part two her ideas on how we can use this as an opportunity to really rethink our nutrition, what we eat, and maybe take advantage of the fact that some of us might be spending more time at home and might have a chance to grow our own home gardens. So thank you for joining us today, Vivian. Oh, you're welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Now let's talk about the average nutrition that people have in the United States, because you know, I'm certainly not an expert on eating the best correct foods all the time, far from it. But I do know that quite a few of our medical conditions have been associated with some of our nutrition. What's the connection there? Absolutely. Well, we know that the standard American diet, which is also sometimes called SAD, if you take the acronym of it, is very high in saturated fat, refined carbohydrates, and often excessive calories, which results in overweight, inflammation, insulin resistance, and hardening of the arteries, etc. So that's where a lot of the chronic diseases emerge out of our, our unhealthy lifestyles. And in fact, according to the CDC, about two-thirds of the origin of those diseases is related to lifestyle and only a one-third genetics. And so we actually have a lot of possibility of changing how our gene expression is by what we choose to eat and how active we are and our lifestyle in general. So you mentioned something really curious that, you know, gene expression. So a lot of times People think you have genetics, you inherit them, that's it, that's the way things go. But there are there are different ways which some genes can be activated. A lot of that has to do with a field called epigenetics. You can inherit a gene, but whether or not that gene is activated depends on some other factors going on in your life. And if you have certain potentially nutritional aspects of what you're eating that activate certain genes, you may be more likely to have that gene expressed in your health than you would be if you don't have those same nutritional aspects that are turning that gene on. Is that right? Exactly. And that's when I teach uh, diabetes classes, there's the one thing that I explain to people very often because people come in and say, Everybody in my family has diabetes. You know, I'm going to get it or, you know, I'm stuck with this particular disease or kidney disease or, you know, whatever it is, hypertension. Um, But actually, you have a lot more control than, than a lot of people believe by choosing a particular lifestyle because it really is about switching on those genes or not. 
And, and, and even if you have already switched them on and you have the disease, you have an opportunity to switch them off, to change the expression and actually reverse a lot of these chronic diseases, which is very, very exciting. And I find so rewarding to teach this information because it gives people a great sense of optimism instead of feeling you know, that they're stuck and, and their future is going to be a particular way. Well, I find that really encouraging and something I want to emphasize is that, you know, you may have made some food choices that are questionable for however long you've been alive. However, that does not mean that you can't change direction into the future. So you mentioned that when you teach diabetes classes that you encourage people to think about changes they can make in their diet that still can help them to reverse some of the consequences of certain diseases. So we're not necessarily saying if you've always, if everyone in your family has diabetes, you're definitely going to get it. But even if you do have it, there's still quite a bit that's under your control. So when you teach some of the folks that you're educating about diabetes, do you see a lot of folks get better? I think hearing that story, is there somebody that you can think of that really has improved not just their sugar, but also how they feel and how they're interacting in the community, the energy levels that they have, the ability to exercise. Do you have folks who get the message and do well and really succeed? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are people who can change their blood sugar readings in a very short time. You know, that's the exciting part about all of this as well. You know, we have been taught to take, you know, small steps. And for some people, that's what they need to do. But those that are ready to really jump in and make big changes, they're going to see often big results in a very short time because it's like when you have a wound, if you keep um, infecting, you know, if you infect that wound or you keep bumping yourself in the same place over and over again, the wound doesn't heal. But once you clean it up and you protect it, then that wound will heal. We can relate to that, you know, on, on the external way of, of, of looking at it. But the same thing would be going on in your body. When you stop injuring it with the kinds of foods that are inflammatory and harming you, your body has amazing resilience. And that is very, very exciting. And I've seen people feel so good in a short amount of time. Their numbers come down. They feel so much more energy. Their moods improve. I mean, on so many levels, it's quite remarkable. It really is. And it's so wonderful to be a partner in in that process with them. Now, I'm certain that you talk with folks who say they can't give up certain snacks, whether it be potato chips or, you know, Snickers bars or chocolate bars or something. And... You know, nobody has to give up something that they love completely forever and never eat it again. But if they're able to reduce the amount or even give it up for a short period of time, does that change their level of cravings? Does it almost change their taste buds in a way that they now prefer more of the fruits and vegetables as opposed to the processed foods? Can that actually happen? It absolutely can happen. There's a a lot of research that has been done around this where you're craving for sweets, you're craving for fats, you're craving for salt, 
Like that's what I'm craving right now. So (laughs) I mean, bring it on, but that's not good. So what's the research say and how can you avoid having those constant cravings? Is it more than just, just don't give in? Well, I think you have to take that leap and decide that you are going to try to stop eating those foods and try to get them out of your environment. Because all of us are going to be tempted by what is around us. And we know that uh, in part of marketing, you go into a shopping mall, you smell you know, the cinnamon, cinnamon from those. I smell and, cinnamon. Yeah, right. I smell the cookie corner. Yeah, And they make right. me want it. Exactly. But if you can, for a period of time, really clean out your house, you're going to have to obviously engage the people that you live with to help you and, and support you in this and not have them around to get away from the television when those ads come on. In fact, I just had a conversation with a patient today about that. And, um, and, and just surround yourself with really healthy food and have those foods in your refrigerator ready to go um, so that when you come in and you're hungry, that's what you see and those are the foods you eat. And then your taste buds actually tune into the natural sweetness in a fresh strawberry or, um, you know, delicious mango. We're coming into mango season, lychees, you know, all these amazing fruits that we have here on the islands. And when you taste those and you really allow yourself to be so mindful in eating them, you can get tremendous satisfaction. And then you have those other processed foods a little later. They don't seem to be quite as interesting or satisfying or addictive. So it's, it is making a conscious choice and then setting yourself up for success. And there's quite a lot of research that has been done around this One person that's done a lot of work in this area is Brian Wensink, and he has a few websites, mindlesseating.org, Slim by Design, about setting yourself up for success. And, um, you know, we think we make a choice to eat, but often we're just responding to our environment. And another good person in this area is Doug Lyle, and uh, he's written several books around, you know, the addictive nature of a lot of processed foods, and he has um, a TED Talk, even if people don't want to read his books, but you can listen to the TED Talk and learn more about this. All right. Well, addicted to some of those wonderful foods, I admit I am, but they may not be doing wonderful things internally. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here talking with Vivian Aronowitz. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about how can you set yourself up for success and what are some of the ways that you can help make some daily habit changes that might be something that can help boost your health long term, but also you might start feeling better almost the next or the same day. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Locations, Haleakala Waldorf School, and Honolulu Waldorf School. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here talking with Vivian Aronowitz, and we're talking about how to discover your healthiest self. What are some of the ways that you can make some adjustments in your diet to help you feel better? Now, Vivian, right before the break, you were saying that somebody can make some dietary changes, and if they stop eating certain types of foods or set themselves up for success, then they're more likely to be able to continue along this path. So what are some of the simple things someone could do to set themselves up for success? I mean, are we talking about having pre-cut carrots in your fridge and a little container so you don't have to go to the work of cutting them up each time? Or are you talking about avoiding having certain things in your fridge that are like right in front of your face when you open it? There might be things that you would generally tend to reach for more. What are some of the keys to success in changing dietary habits? Exactly. Um, Those ones that you mentioned are a good way to get started is to... um, Be intentional about what you have in your house, what you bring into your house. A lot of patients tell me, well, they ate it because it was in the house. Well, how did it get there? (laughs) So, you know. um, I brought it? Yeah, right. It it didn't magically appear, although people are getting things ordered and they show up at their door these days. But but you still had to order it, of course. Yes. Should you not so, wait until you're ridiculously hungry? Like, I think one of the other keys is yes. if you wait so long that you'll eat anything, you will literally eat anything. But if Absolutely. you're a little bit more planning ahead or proactive about this is what I'm going to have with me when I'm at this time of day, I know I get hungry, then you might have a tendency to at least have something in front of you that's of the healthier variety and that way be more likely to choose it. Exactly. Planning ahead is really the key. That is what you need to do in order to be successful. So, you know, have the right foods around. Have them prepared. When I go to the farmer's market, I come home and I try to wash and chop some of my vegetables. Um, Now I'm working from home, so, you know, of course it's easier to do those things for a lot of people that are around home. But, you know, if we go back to where we're running around a lot and our lives are very busy, is to chop up those vegetables, get them ready, and um, and then when you come home and you want to have dinner in 15 minutes, then it's so much easier if the stuff is really um, already partially prepared so you don't have to start cleaning and chopping. And, of course, you can buy a, a lot of already uh, chopped up vegetables, and that works. You know, when we get the ones from the mainland, sometimes they don't keep very long. Um, So it is nice if we can get them local. But even if you do get them, make sure you use them in a short amount of time. And one thing I just wanted to mention also, a lot of people, they're so afraid they're going to end up throwing things away that have gone bad in the refrigerator. Check your refrigerator a few days after you buy the food. And if it looks like you're not going to use it and it's starting to look a little wilted, just as long as it's clean, stick that in your freezer, and that stuff can easily be pulled out later and made into a soup or stew or something like that. But having those cut-up veggies and fruit ready to go, carrying stuff with you, so if you're hungry, you're not going to be driving into the fast food. Take now, the window. <clears throat> You mentioned something about the fact that people may have some more time at home. And, you know, way back 
in the middle of, was it World War II, the Victory Garden concept. And, you know, now here we are in the island. Some folks might be home. They might have an interest in setting up a garden or wondering how they could start growing some of their own foods. And you've done that yourself. You mentioned that before you came on the air this evening, you had just eaten a salad made of greens you you grew yourself. Right. How long does it take? I mean, if I said to myself tonight, all right, I want to start a garden so I can eat, you know, kale or lettuce or something I grow myself. I mean, is this going to take me forever or is this something that once you get into a groove can actually be a pretty fruitful garden and you can have your own food? Absolutely. Well, it depends what you grow and if you're growing it from seed or you're getting, you know, already some small plants. I was very fortunate to get some little plants from a friend who is a farmer and uh, I actually, we had a, a raised bed built because we have to be mindful of rat lung worm here, especially on the big island. And um, so I have a really nice raised bed and filled it up with really great dirt and some gravel and some special chicken manure and biochar, which is an, another thing. I don't know that much about it, but I have read a little bit how beneficial, beneficial it is to uh, helping your plants grow. And I have to tell you, I don't think my garden is a month old, and I cannot believe how big um, the plants are that I have in there already. And I already have harvested a few lettuces. I had my first snow pea today. So it's so exciting. It really is. It's very, very rewarding. And I have basil growing and kale and chard, and my tomato plants have a lot of little yellow uh, blossoms on them. I have an eggplant. So it's a very, very fun activity. And I think for people right now, because we're having to be more around our own homes, you know, probably won't be going out as much even in the near future. It is a great opportunity to just feel so good about what you have going on in your own environment. And, and enjoying and getting so much pleasure from it. And even if you have an apartment, you can have some pots on your lanai. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of vertical gardens that are being developed. There are roof gardens. There are all kinds of ways that people are growing food in very small spaces. So basically I have no excuse. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it has to be the right time, and you have to have that motivation. And I think... What's happened in the last few months is that we all realize we have to become more self-sufficient, that we cannot expect when we go to the supermarket there'll be everything there that we always have seen before. And I think people who grew up in the islands, who lived here a long time, know you know, when those barges stop coming, we're, we're on our own. So the more we can be prepared, the better. And really, picking from your own garden is going to be a lot more nutritious than eating some produce that um, come from the mainland, you know, uh, weeks old. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm having a great discussion with Vivian Aronowitz, and she is a nutrition expert and certified diabetes educator in the field for almost 40 years. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges that occur when you're growing your own food and also what are some of the ways that the food that you eat 
could actually replace some of the supplements that some of us might be taking in hopes that they're going to make us feel younger, feel stronger, give us better nutritional status. So when we come back, we're going to talk some more about using your own garden instead of supplements. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Vivian Aronowitz. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about ways that you can grow your own garden. Now, you know, I often wonder, I mean, multivitamins, I've been known to take them because it just seems like that way I know I'm getting a minimum amount of vitamins and minerals in my diet. Even if I succumb to those wonderful smells of the Cinnabon and the Cookie Corner and wherever else it seems to be that they're just attracting me. So, you know, you can always take supplements or take vitamins, but there might be an all-natural source for people to get some of these same things. Is there something different about taking things in a pill versus getting this from natural foods? Absolutely, because when you take a pill, it's an, it's kind of a reductionist way of looking at nutrition uh, as opposed to a whole food way where you're getting a lot of different nutrients. Some things in food we might not even know about yet. The whole field of phytonutrients, which are all these amazing substances that help prevent aging and our anti-cancer. We didn't know about when I went to school a long time ago. So there are new things that we're learning all the time. But the other thing is it comes in a whole package, and that's really what you want. You want the whole package of the food. You know, when we buy vitamins, we can't even be really 100% sure that we're getting what is on the label. Sometimes they're contaminants. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a role for supplements. I personally do take some as we get older. Sometimes our ability to absorb things is a little reduced. And for certain people who may have you know, specific deficiencies, you may need a particular supplement to boost you. But um, to rely on that and spend a lot of your resources um, in buying supplements versus spending them on really good food. You know, in the U.S., people spend a lot less of their income on food than in other countries, and we expect to be having cheap food here, but it's not really cheap because we're paying for it in a lot of other ways in the environment and so on. So uh, if you can grow some of your own food, then you know what you're putting in that soil. A lot of people worry that the soil uh, in commercially grown food is depleted. But when you're growing it yourself or you're, growing, you're buying food at a farmer's market from farmers that you know you have a relationship with and you know that they're working not only sustainably but in a regenerative way to keep the soil really good and improve the environment where the food is grown, then that food is also going to be a lot more nutritious. And when it's being picked in a very um, short time between the picking and the eating, you know, a lot more nutrition is going to be in that food as opposed to things that 
a long time prior. So it really gets back to taking a look and saying, if you can buy something locally from a local farmer's market or grow it yourself, you might be more likely to get all of the packed nutrients that are given enough time to get into that particular food as opposed to one that might have been picked earlier with the intention that it would ripen on its way here and might be a few weeks old. So, you know, it's always, you know, buy local and in particular buy locally grown foods that could really help change the outcome of a lot of your different medical conditions. We talked a little bit about diabetes and how you can still see benefits. And you've also talked with a lot of patients in your practice who have kidney disease. And even though they have already had effects to their kidneys, there are some things they can do using a more plant-based diet to help them to reduce the progression of their kidney problems. You've seen that as well. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And that is very, very exciting. And there's uh, I would say it's fairly recent, the last few years, that we've seen um, the move towards plant-based proteins, especially for people with kidney disease, and how less harmful it is to the kidneys, especially as they're failing. And um, I, I think this is, is, is a very, very exciting area, because we do have a lot of kidney disease here, you know, a lot of it is related to diabetes, but some of it is related to hypertension as well, as you know. And so, um, you know, the more people can move away um, from processed food, from a diet heavy in animal products, really the better off they're going to be with so many chronic diseases. It's, um, it's amazing because I just feel like there isn't the reason for us to be suffering, for many in, in our community to be suffering in the way that they do if they were to change their lifestyle. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely possible, and I think people don't realize that. Now, you mentioned plant-based protein, and real quick, just this is only part one of our two-part show, but explain what plant-based proteins are? Because when most people think of protein, they think of meat of some type or poultry or fish, but you can get plant-based protein? Where from? Oh my gosh. Where do you think animals get their protein from? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> from plants. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that people forget. And I think we're so indoctrinated in, in our... Um, country and, you know, probably in the planet, except for a lot of third world countries where people do rely on plants for protein, um, that plants have a lot of protein. In fact, uh, if you took 100 calories of spinach, it has more protein than 100 calories of many meat products. Now, that is pretty shocking to a lot of people. I grant you would have to eat quite a lot of spinach to, to get um, to 100 calories, but when you cook spinach, it, it you know, shrinks down a lot, and it would be about two and a half, three cups. I've actually measured it out. And so plants have a lot of protein. We do not need to rely on animals to get protein. And in fact, um, animal products uh, are more fat than protein, most of them, uh, although they hold protein they're really more predominantly fat. 
Well, it's interesting because you brought up yeah. a really good point. Where do the animals get the protein from? They're right. eating plants. So a lot of the animals that turn into some of our proteins are the ones eating plants to start off with. It's been fascinating just to sort of even just touch a little bit on some of the areas of nutrition. And what we're going to do, because there's so much more that we could talk about, is in our next show, which is going to be next week, we're going to talk a little bit about intermittent fasting, the keto diet. What are some of these things that people might have an interest in and want to learn more about? And how is that something that right now might be an ideal time for people to take a look and make some dietary changes and really try and change their taste buds and in a, in a long way, maybe even change their life. So, you know, if you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You will also hear both Vivian Aronowitz and I next week. We are going to talk some more about different dietary programs and how that really can change your health status. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will be back next week talking more about best foods to eat. See you then. Woo! Thank mm-hmm. you.